It is so wonderful to be with you. Um, We are continuing in our series through the Gospel of John, and this morning we are in chapter 10. So I encourage you to uh, grab your Bibles, turn there. I hope you brought your Bible with you because we don't gather for thus saith any pastor or elder, we gather for thus saith the Lord. And so we want to examine Scripture together. We encourage you to open your Bibles that you would be able to see what the Word has said before us. And so if you don't have a Bible, if you didn't bring one, first off, uh, there, are, there should be a hardback black one around you. If you don't own one, uh, that's our gift to you. Just take that with you after service. Um, but I want to encourage you to turn there because this morning in our series, we are getting into chapter 10. Uh, we came to a close last weekend in chapter 9, and I mentioned that although we were coming to the close of chapter 9, the conversation wasn't over yet. In fact, the the conversation and even the conflict is not over because at the conclusion of chapter nine, we actually saw two radically different responses. At first, we learned that the man who was born blind recognized that Jesus was not just a prophet, which he called him in verse 17 of chapter nine, but that Jesus was the son of man, as Jesus called himself in verse 35. And in response to that, the man who was seen had believed and worshipped him, which we learned in verse 38 last week of chapter 9. And really, that's an incredible thing. And we look at that and we go, man, he worshipped Jesus in response. He believed. But this is absolutely significant for our understanding of the person of Christ. That Jesus actually accepted worship from him, which at the time, and, and even today is true, no prophet or apostle would ever do that. Even we learn this in the book of Acts chapter 14 when the people of Lystra sought to worship Paul and Barnabas and they rebuked them. But here in chapter 9, Jesus did not rebuke the man who had been blind who now sees. He welcomed the man's worship and his true belief. And why? Because Jesus is the Christ and the man came to see this. And then in contrast to that, to the man's response There were the Pharisees. They really refused to believe, even after seeing the miracle that Jesus performed by making this man see, and even after all that Jesus had said. And so this is why in verse 41 of chapter 9, Jesus said, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. And so the Pharisees were not willing to worship Jesus They could not admit that they were sinners, that they had guilt, and so it remained. Now, the reason this is important to mention, and we're going to look more at the contrast and and really the picture of chapter 9 leading into chapter 10, but this is important before we come to our text, because Jesus is going to continue to speak to the religious leaders, and he is going to draw an important distinction between them and himself, that how the Pharisees treat those who believe and how Jesus treats those who believe is very, very different. That in fact, they lead different, they live different because they are different. And so as we come to chapter 10 in the Gospel of John, Jesus draws our attention to the truth about who he is, that he alone is the good shepherd. In fact, if you have read through this chapter and maybe done a little bit of study, you might have noticed that in chapter 10, it is really unified by several themes, some of which are that Christ is the Lord, 
that he is Israel's true shepherd, that he is one with the Father, and that his saving activity definitely secures the protection of those who are his. And so this is, what some of, this is some of what we're going to look at today in chapter 10. And so what we're going to examine and really seek to apply in these verses today is that Jesus is the true shepherd and his sheep hear his voice, but to a stranger, they will flee. And so if you're taking notes this morning, those are your fill in the blanks of our, our text, our expositional outline, as we would call it. And so we're going to read in John chapter 10 in verses 1 through 6. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the sheep, the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this morning as we come before you in this time, as we seek to not only examine your word, but to really apply your word, God, I pray that we would hear the voice of the shepherd. God, may we pray for that. May we long for that. That we would hear the voice of the shepherd through your word this morning. And so God, regardless of whatever we've come in with, uh, assumptions, ideas, uh, what today is going to look like, what the rest of today is going to look like, God, I pray that we'd be submitted to what you want to do today. I pray that we would seek the truth of your word. And so God, we thank you that you are ascending and a saving God, that you have sent the true and good shepherd that this morning we might draw close to him and know him because of how he has known us. So God, we thank you and we praise you for this time in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as we begin to examine our verses today, it would do us well in our study and, and even application to, to, I would say, even reflect a little bit further on our time in John chapter 9. And really how that leads us into chapter 10. Because this follows, at least thematically, in John's gospel after the great conflict with the religious leaders regarding the man born blind. Where the religious leaders had shown themselves to be not only incredibly unhelpful, but incredibly cruel. Uh, In chapter 9, it says they reviled him. They were not very kind to the man, and, and especially even to Jesus. And so that is why in in my introduction just a few minutes ago, I mentioned how the Pharisees treat those who believe and how Jesus treats those who believe is very different. They are not the same. They lead different. They live different because they are different. And we really saw this in how the Pharisees cast out the man from the synagogue in verse 34. 
And in comparison to those leaders, Jesus goes and he finds the man after being cast out. He reveals himself to the man and he receives the man, which we learn in verse 35. And so as we come to these verses in chapter 10, Jesus is giving an illustration that really draws a very stark contrast. In fact, he shows us two types that enter the sheepfold, one that is a shepherd and the other that is a thief and a robber, or as he would say later, a stranger. And so in verse one, Jesus describes the first of those who enter. He says they climb in by another way, and that man is a thief and a robber. Now, some have looked at this text and have really thought that when when Jesus spoke of thieves and robbers, he's referring to false messiahs or to the devil. And, And I think there is some truth in this idea behind every false teacher is the work of the devil. Absolutely, I agree. But what we need to understand is really that's not what's happening in this text. Really, I believe that really who Jesus is talking about is the Pharisees. In fact, this comment and illustration is is far more pointed than that thought. I mean, remember, this is shortly after the very heated discussion between Jesus and the Pharisees about the man born blind. And so this is the context of the conversation. In fact, that's why I drew your attention uh, last week in chapter nine, that little uh, piece of information that the quotation of Jesus's words doesn't end in chapter nine. Well, why? Because it continues in chapter 10. And so Jesus addressed those who God had called to be shepherds over the flock, uh, basically the clergy of his day who had recently cast out the man of the synagogue And really, ultimately, in that, what they were doing is they were rejecting a sheep in the flock of God. And so as we look at how Jesus is describing those who climb into the sheepfold by another way, we really should understand that Jesus is calling the Pharisees thieves and robbers. And so Jesus begins to explain a very necessary and important contrast between his heart and his work as the true leader of God's people and the heart and the work of many of the religious leaders of his day. See, political and spiritual leadership, uh, they were often called, these leaders were often called shepherds in the ancient world. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, they're mentioned as shepherds in chapter 56 and in Jeremiah chapter three. And so Jesus explained that not all among the sheep are true shepherds. Some are like thieves and robbers. Now, in our day, I believe that we have to be on guard against false teachers. Because false teachers don't come in. They do not announce to the church, hey, by the way, I'm a false teacher. So you should buy my book, come to my conference, and learn all this heresy I'm trying to present to you. That would be easy to spot. There are some that are easy to spot, but they do not all do that. In fact, they come as these religious leaders did, and they look very impressive. They have a following. They have credentials. And and as they even may sound very educated, very clear in their presentation, maybe they're drawing a crowd. We still need to examine if they're false teachers. See, some of them, I think, today even have big churches. They have big ministries. They write big books. But none of that matters. 
unless they are truly shepherds of Jesus Christ. Now, for many of us, if you are discerning, and I think honestly in the church, that's not always true of all of us, but if you are discerning, perhaps you think, yes, I understand. I understand there's books out there, there's bad stuff, I avoid it. But then I think there's another way we need to press in because I think if we're gonna be mature and discerning, we need to not just say, well, we teach the Bible here. That's never going to creep into any church. We don't have bad books. We don't listen to bad people. But let's be honest. Thieves and robbers are not only false teachers. I think as we look at this, we need to understand that thieves and robbers are also anything and anyone who turns our attention away from Jesus and who he truly is. So even if you consider yourself a student of the Bible, if you consider yourself intelligent or theologically discerning, it is still so valuable and so important to ask, is there anything in my life leading me away from Jesus? And really, I think we need to ask this because it's not what is dramatically bombarding us that is the issue. That's clear to spot. It's really what subtly creeps in approving of heresy and pointing us away from the Lord Jesus Christ. See, one mark of these men, of these men being thieves and robbers is how they gain entry among the sheep. This is interesting in how Jesus describes it. He describes the Pharisees as the type of leaders who climb in by another way. See, many of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, gained their place among God's people, not always by the proper means. Some, it was through personal and political connections. It was through formal education or through ambition or even worse, through manipulation and even corruption. And so Jesus is basically calling them out and saying, that's not how shepherds lead. That's not how shepherds come into the care of the sheep. But actually, the true shepherds are the ones who do not throw out the sheep when they are confessing the truth. They're the ones who receive the sheep, who care for the sheep. And so we really need to examine and understand the difference between the true shepherd and the false shepherds. See, God has always intended that his people be led and fed and protected by those who come in the legitimate and intended way. And so this is why, as Jesus really shows this comparison between himself and the religious leaders in the illustration, he says, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. See, simply put, the door is there for a reason. See, some will always climb over the barriers, but God has the barriers and the door there for a reason. And this is very important for our application today that there is no such thing as a pastor or an elder or a shepherd whose leadership is established and maintained while being divorced from God's people. See, here in Jesus's parable, we can easily see a picture of the church, that the church is much like a sheepfold where God assembles his people. And so this is even why Jesus later compares himself to a door in verse 7. Because there is no other way into the house of God but through Jesus Christ. 
And so really, church, this should remind us when we consider our leaders and think of the people of God that Jesus Christ alone is the entrance into the fold. He is the shepherd of the sheep. See, this is in fact even why Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 4 called him the chief shepherd. And so any shepherd today, any throughout history are simply an under shepherd of the great chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Never forget that. Because in Christ alone, the sheep have their shepherd. I mean, that is something that is true of him that was not true of the so-called shepherds, the Pharisees of his day. See, in verse three, Jesus explains that to him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, as we examine this verse, I think it's somewhat difficult to wrap our our modern Western minds around this concept. I mean, not many of us spend a lot of time with sheep. But if we go back and we understand this verse in context of the culture that Jesus is in, we learn that Jesus draws this illustration from the sheep industry of the day. See, the way sheep were were cared for in ancient Israel was very different from the way they are handled today. I mean, often today we hear of people who have small farms, they may have a a few sheep, and they care for them on their own. But in those days of Jesus' time, there was one large central pen for sheep. That was the sheepfold. And that was located in a specific area of that community where all the shepherds were caring for the sheep. And at the end of each day, people brought their small individual flocks and led them into a big sheepfold. And with their combined resources, they paid a gatekeeper and it was his job to stay with the sheep during the night. And so then in the morning, the gatekeeper would open the gate to those who were truly the shepherds of those sheep. And he would open the gate to those whose sheep were kept in the sheepfold. And so something important, incredibly important, that is key in Jesus's illustration that would happen next is the shepherd would enter by the door. And so why does that matter? Because they had every right to do so. Only the shepherd had the right to do so. The sheep were theirs, and the gatekeeper would give them to him. And so then at the end of verse 3, what did Jesus say about the true shepherd and the sheep? He says, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And so again, remember, back in Jesus' day, when a shepherd entered the sheepfold, the sheep of all the local flocks were mixed There were all kinds of sheep from all kinds of shepherds, but he would call and his sheep recognized his voice and came to him. In fact, what is commonly known is that a good shepherd was so intimately involved with the the care and the nurture of his sheep that likely he had names for them and he would call them by name. And so Jesus is drawing upon this when speaking of his own that his sheep followed him out because they know him. Now, understanding that context, doesn't that paint a more vivid and beautiful picture of what Jesus is drawing our attention to? 
It's because he knows them that causes them to come. And that really is another strong comparison between Jesus and any false or religious leader of his day. That Jesus is basically saying to them, my opponents here are thieves who sneak in over fences and steal sheep. And so in other words, they are false shepherds. But Jesus knows the believer and the believer knows him. And so Jesus points this out further in verse four when he said, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Now again, go back to chapter nine for a second. That in the conflict between the religious leader and the man born blind, there was a growing faith and devotion to Jesus by the man. That he was following what Jesus had told him to do in the healing. He was quick then to defend and stand for the truth of who Jesus is, even when he didn't fully know him yet. And then when Jesus asks the man if he believes, in verse 35 of chapter 9, the man says in verse 36, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And that's where Jesus responds to him saying in verse 37, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. And so in this, we find at the end of chapter nine in verse 38, that he says to Jesus, Lord, I believe. And then he worships him. So what draws the man and what leads him to belief? Well, truly we see in chapter 10 it is the voice of the true shepherd before him. And really to that end, he follows Jesus. He shows great devotion and submission when he worshiped Jesus. See, the reason why I continue to bring you back to chapter nine is because this is the backdrop to what Jesus is saying in John 10. How his sheep hear him and know him and follow him. And so he is taking the situation of the man born blind, of him growing in knowledge and faith, and Jesus is coming to him, knowing him, and by grace, he draws the man effectually to himself. But see, then in the last verse of chapter 9, verse 41, what did we find? We found that the Pharisees rejected and hated Jesus. And so this is why Jesus said to them, their guilt, their sin remains. And so now when we get to to verse four of chapter 10, what we're seeing is Jesus make the point that his sheep hear his voice and they follow him alone. And so here is this contrast again and again between the sheep that are not his and the sheep that are his, the sheep that follow him and hear his voice. And so see, what this brings up is an important doctrine. And we will definitely examine this a little bit more um, in the weeks to come through this chapter. But what this brings up is the doctrine of the atonement. Now, let me say first that this is one of the areas, uh, one of the many that the church has long debated over. And you may not hold the view that, that I hold in the understanding of this doctrine And that is okay. You are not here because you're demanded to believe everything I believe, to hold to every doctrinal conviction that I do. But I still believe we absolutely have to press in to the word. We still need to grow in our knowledge of the word and know doctrine. 
And so see, in this text, what this brings up is the main concern and issue over God's intent in sending Jesus to the cross. See, it's really the question of what the limit and the extent of Christ's atoning work is. And so that said, understand, anyone who is not a universalist is willing to agree that the effect of Christ's work on the cross is limited to those who believe, meaning Christ's atoning work does not benefit unbelievers. So not everyone universally is saved through his death. And that is an agreement among all Orthodox Christians throughout history. And so universalism is really the idea that Jesus saved everyone already through the cross. And you don't have to even believe He's already done everything for you. You can live however you want under the life you want because Jesus already died and you're good to go. And let me tell you, that is a heresy that has been fought against for years and years, hundreds of them within the church. And so there is agreement here of what Jesus is saying and the understanding of the doctrine of the atonement. And so everyone agrees that the merit of Christ's death is sufficient to pay for the sins of all human beings. One way some may say it is Christ's atonement is sufficient for all, is sufficient for all, but efficient for only some. So it satisfies God's wrath, but it does not supply God's relationship. And so there's some disagreement on it. And so that said, what I believe Jesus is showing us in his illustration of specific sheep among the many and the one true shepherd who knows them is here a contrast even between the man and the Pharisees. What Jesus is showing us is that not all are his sheep. I mean, this is literally what he has said. And so as we know, Jesus later goes to the cross. What that means is his atoning work is not for all people everywhere. It is for his sheep. And so what that means is his atoning work definitely secures those it intended to save. This is the view that I hold to, what would be called the Reformed Baptist view. And I believe that Jesus is making clear in this text that his atonement was designed and intended for his elect. That the atonement was an actual, not merely potential work of redemption. And so that's meaning Christ laid down his life for his sheep, and only for his sheep. Now, with that, because I think some of you I know would say, that's awesome, I agree with you. And some of you would say, what church can we go to next week? (laughs) And in that, what I want you to remember is a very important piece of information, and that is, I do not know who all the sheep are. I do not know who all the sheep are. I do not know who is elect and who is not. And I think I have preached against hyper-Calvinism enough for you to understand the condemnation I feel towards it. But I agree here with Spurgeon when he was asked of this text and he said, if the Lord had painted yellow lines on the back of his elect, I would go around lifting shirts. But as he has not, I will preach whomsoever and I will call all men everywhere to repent and believe. I absolutely agree with that. I do not know who all Christ's sheep are, but I believe he does. 
That's what's important because God alone is sovereign. And so that's why he would say to the Pharisees earlier in verse three, that the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So what that means then is that there is not merely a possibility for God's design and intent of the atonement to be accomplished. No, God's purpose in salvation is sure. It does not change, and it will definitely do what it was intended to do. And that is save sinners unto salvation by the handiwork and the sovereignty of a triune God. Whereas Jesus told the people back in John 6 that the Father chooses and draws, the Son secures, and the Spirit alone gives life. And so, dear Christian, let me tell you, that is a comfort to know that we are Christ's sheep. What a joy it is to hear his voice. And so I pray that as we read this text, you find comfort in these verses. I mean, look again at what Jesus says in verse four. The sheep follow him for they know his voice. See, there is a very personal and intimate connection there that those who follow hear his voice. So you can't hear if you don't follow and you can't follow if you can't hear. And so as we look upon these verses, I, I would challenge you to ask, do I know the voice of Jesus? Do I hear the shepherd calling out to me? See, this is one of the great aims and yet a very intriguing mystery of the preaching of the word. I mean, if you don't know, you have an okay preacher. And that's okay for you to acknowledge. I acknowledge it with you. I'm not great or grand. People do not come from afar to hear me. And understand, yes, I put time and energy into writing sermons, praying for you through the preparation of the preaching of the word, but I cannot manufacture or muster up the shepherd's voice. That's not my work. I can't control that, but I can pray for that. And you can pray for it. Have you experienced that before? when the sermon is no longer just simply an exposition, it, it is more than, than the words I'm, I'm saying and the exposition I am giving. The Bible is before you. You're seeing the words and you're hearing the voice of the shepherd that Jesus is speaking to you clearly through his word. See, friends, what that tells us is the sheep know the voice of their shepherd. And it is not about whether the, the preacher is, is saying clever things in a particular moment. It's not about how many more minutes we have or, or, or how he's on a, a clever rant. It's about that Jesus is speaking through his words and that you are listening. And so do you ever have that when you hear the preaching of God's word? Do you ever have that when you're reading through scripture? I encourage you, pray for that. That when you read the word, when you hear the word preached, that you would hear the voice of your shepherd. See, sometimes we listen and, and week after week, some of us might come in and we're thinking, I, I wonder when he'll get to my favorite part of the series. I, I think some of us get into this routine and, and we kind of think, well, I kind of like last sermon, but hopefully today's sermon is a little bit better. 
and, and week in and week out, what we long to hear is that which would stir our hearts and draw us in and quicken us to the word of God. But do you know the best way for sermons to get better and the preaching to be impactful? Pray for your own ears. And that doesn't mean that, that I stay put. That's not my clever way of saying it's not me, it's you. Okay? But what I am saying is, is in the midst of hard work, in the midst of trying to bring before you the true word of God, the best way for the preaching of the word to instantly get better is for you to hear and listen to the voice of Jesus. It's not just studying theology. It's not just the growth of the preacher. It's not an argument on a particular view or learning communication classes, but Jesus. It's hearing the voice of your shepherd. And so do you hear him calling? Pray for, pray for hearing, that you may hear the shepherd and that he may lead you out. See, look at what Jesus says further in verse 5 about those who know his voice and hear him. He says, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. In my sermon prep and in considering this verse, I was thinking about how many strangers there are, even among the people of God. I mean, even because of technology and, and social media and ultimately and painfully because of our own ignorance, to, to know the truth and to know truly who our shepherd is. There are some strangers among us who creep in. But Jesus points out here that the sheep do not follow the stranger's voice. That is who they do not follow. So they may be led astray for a moment and be confused by another voice, but they will not follow that voice as their shepherd. In fact, there was a story once of a group of soldiers back in World War I who cloaked themselves to try and get a shepherd's sheep out of the sheepfold. And they cloaked themselves so they could have some good lamb for dinner. And they were leading the sheep astray and, and, and less than a mile away, the shepherd called to his sheep and they came near because they realized that's not our shepherd. So Jesus points out, the sheep do not follow strangers. They will not follow the voice of them, but they will follow the voice of their shepherd. See, there is truth to this idea that Jesus gives, that God's sheep, as God's sheep, we must learn to really distinguish between the voice of the good shepherd and the voice of counterfeit thieves and robbers. And so church, that means we need to be wise and discerning. And understand, not all are that way. But it doesn't mean that, that we ignore uh, growing in discernment. It doesn't mean that we ignore growing in the word of God and saying, I'm not one of the mature ones, they're one of the mature ones. It means we press in. And if I can give you some advice in something, if you are someone who's easily duped, if you are someone who wrestles with discernment, get around people who are discerning and wise. Get around mature believers. Stop acting like you've got this all on your own. You don't. That's why when Jesus came, he didn't come for saying, I came for you, now you go do your thing, now you, now you do your thing. But he came for the church and for them to be together, that they would work together that they would gather together. 
And so get around people who are discerning and wise. I mean, honestly, my wife is one of those types. And I will say something like, man, I think that thing is going to go super well. Or or that person is awesome. And we should invite them in to do this or to do that. And she will respond, I don't know. Something seems off. And I have before responded impatiently like she's destroying my dreams. And just saying, what do you mean? No, I want to move quickly. And then that thing doesn't go well or that person shows their true colors and I'm standing there both dumb and dumbfounded because she was discerning and I was acting dumb. Now, church, that's kind of funny, but it's not an excuse because I believe we need to grow in maturity and discernment to know the voice of our shepherd. We need to get around mature believers who discern and are seeking the voice of the shepherd in the word. Because those who belong to Christ, those who are his sheep, are able to recognize the voice of the good shepherd. And so if for, you, if for some of you, you ask, how do you distinguish between true shepherds and those who are strangers and thieves? How do you discern that? How do you distinguish those two? Well, remember what Jesus gave to us as a test back in verse one. He encouraged us to ask, Are they found entering through the door of the sheepfold or do they climb in another way? See, this is what Jesus says. And Jesus enters through the door because this is what he does. He alone is the true chief shepherd. This is why when I tell you time and time again, we don't gather for thus saith any pastor or elder, but thus saith the Lord. I want you to understand when we gather here, we gather beneath the word of God in submission. We're not above it. We're not beside it. We're not before it. We're beneath it. And as shepherds, our role is to go before you, but to point you, point you to the true shepherd and his word. So see, when the sheep hear his word, And his voice, they are drawn to him. But those who are not his find confusion and they reject him. So this is what we learn in verse six. That John writes, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. See, some are left confused because they are deaf. They do not have ears to hear Jesus And in fact, they reject him, even as we found earlier that the Pharisees did at the end of chapter nine. And that is why their guilt remained. See, the most important element of the story that we need to understand, and as we continue to look at John chapter six, is that the shepherd knows his sheep and the sheep know their shepherd. And so in this illustration, Understand, Jesus is hinting very strongly at his own messianic identity. He is telling them, I am the good shepherd. In fact, this is what we will see uh, next week as Jesus brings this to them and points to how he is the fulfillment of the, prof- of the prophecy of Ezekiel 34, that he is the good shepherd. He is the long-awaited shepherd, and he is calling sinners home to himself. And so, church, this is a beautiful picture that Christ is calling out his sheep and even now and today through his word. So let me ask you, do you hear the shepherd's voice? 
Do you hear the shepherd's voice through the word? Then cry out and rejoice. Sinner, repent and believe upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because what Paul tells us in Romans 10 verse 13, he gives us a beautiful picture of this by saying, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So sinner, call on the name of the Lord. And saint, rejoice in your shepherd. Understand there is not a hope of possibility in salvation. There is a guarantee and security in it. Because as Jesus says in verse three, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And so as we close, I encourage you to ask that. Do I hear the shepherd's voice? Pray for that. Seek that. Long for that. That you would not just come in here hoping that I do good, but that you would long to meet with your true shepherd and that you would hear his voice above any other voice. Let's pray.